0: The following message is by Dr. Cliff McManus, pastor-teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship, located in Sunnyvale, California. For those of you particularly that are new or haven't been here in a while, we usually take a book of the Bible, New Testament, and and go through it as God wrote it for His people. And we just finished 1 Corinthians, Uh, just a blessed journey together over 70 different sermons we looked at over the course of two years, from chapter 1 all the way to chapter 16. And now... Got a little break and been praying actually for many months um, about where God would have us go next in terms of a body. It is the Christmas season, so we'll have a couple of Christmas messages that are be, be appropriate leading up to the birth of Christ. And a little before that and after, going to go back to basics. And so that's the title of the sermon today, Back to Basics. And I want to do a series, Back to Basics, meaning the basics of church life. Uh, raise your hand if you uh, have now come to GBF within the last five years, including first-time visitors today, just real quick. Raise your hand if you've come to GBF within the last five years. Okay, go ahead and put them down. So it could be 50% of you or more. That's significant. Our church is going into its 10th year of existence. And as a church plant, when we started, uh, we were very purposeful in what we thought a church was, what our ministry should be, our philosophy of ministry, our theology our distinctives, the title of our church, Grace Bible Fellowship. We want to be biblical in everything that we do as a church. Uh, The Word of God is to be our foundation and our compass. And so there were, within the first five years, a couple of times I was able to preach on these distinctives of Grace Bible Fellowship, really distinctives of the Bible and biblical ministry, priorities of a local church. People are confused about that. Christians are confused about that at times, and churches are confused about that. What they stand for, what they're supposed to be doing, what the mission is, and who's involved, etc. I think the scripture is crystal clear. And so within those first five years, we taught on basics of church life and what a church is to be. Uh, The topic of today, back to basics, elder shepherding, absolutely a priority. I've preached on it a couple of times, but not specifically i think within the last three or four years in a way that i'm going to today in the way that i did when we first started as a church absolutely essential so this is one of the keys and the basics and the foundations of what a church should be we have visitors come routinely and i get emails and sometimes phone calls of people who are inquiring asking questions about our church and they're looking for uh, a church trying to find a church many of you Maybe most of you have been in a position where you were looking for a church, going through that process, visiting, scouring websites and material from the church and praying and getting counsel and talking to folks, trying to get insight, and in God's leading as to what church you should be at. and That's all legitimate, necessary, and needs to be done. I'm the same way. And when I go visit churches and when I inquire about ministries, I go to their websites and look at specific things. Actually, the first thing I always go to in any Christian organization or Christian mission or Christian church, always, is immediately to the leadership of that organization. So if it's a church, I'm looking, who is the leadership of this church? What do they believe about leadership? Who are they? Where were they trained? What's their theology like? What do they think about the Bible? It needs to start at the leadership. That's just true of any organization or entity. A uh, missions organization, I do the same thing. A Christian college or whatever, I do the same thing. It starts at the top. That's why I chose elder shepherding. If we're going to go back to basics on church life, where should we start? And going to leadership is paramount. That's where it should start. That's the logical starting point when you're talking about local biblical ministry and the church of Christ. And if you think about it, that's where Jesus invested most of his time For the three-plus years that he had his 12 apostles, he was investing in the leadership of the first church of Jerusalem. It was all about leadership. Twelve guys. Judas was an apostate. That was in God's plan. He was replaced with Matthias, and then there were 12. And God Almighty started his church on the foundation of 12 men, 12 apostles, the leadership of the church, really the first pastors of the first church. That's what Ephesians says, that God founded the church on the leadership of the apostles and the prophets. So by design, God knows that uh, leadership is definitive, it is determinative with any institution, and that's just as true, if not more true, with a church. So that's why we're looking at this topic today. So for those of you who are relatively new in the last five years to GBF, we're going to kind of rehearse some of the basics uh, now and then again in January before we go on to another book of the Bible, to get our bearings, to get on the same page in the priorities of church ministries This is incredibly confusing. Um, as a matter of fact, there are many folks who came to GBF or visited our church or joined our church. Anytime join, anybody joins our church or wants to, I always ask several questions, but one is always, why did you choose GBF? Why do you want to join GBF? And many times people have said, well, because of the leadership. Meaning the leadership structure. Well, you guys actually have elders. There were some churches I visited went to that didn't have elders, or um, they just had deacons, or they just had a senior pastor, or some guy, or maybe a bunch of women, or whatever. Uh, so leadership is very important to even many of you who have come to that conviction in choosing a church. That's totally appropriate. So let's go ahead and look back to basics. Number one, and it's elder shepherding. Elder shepherding, and it's kind of a Bible study. We're going to look at or a systematic study from God's Word. And don't yawn and think, "Uh, this is old hat, I've heard this before. That's not the right attitude at all. We need to refresh and look to God's Word again and be reminded of the priorities. Otherwise, we lose our bearings. This is not old hat. It's actually refreshing and exciting for me as I'm studying it all week long. And there were some new things I'd never seen before or thought of before on this topic that I have been familiar with, that I've studied, that I've preached on for going on 25 plus years. And it was amazing how God opened up some new insights to the importance of pastoring, shepherding, elder shepherding to me that I've never seen before in Scripture. I read the verses, but it's that ministry of the Holy Spirit where He just illuminates and gives new understanding. There's a couple things I want to share with you that I learned that were new on this that I'd never read in any commentary, never heard anybody ever say before, but it was right there in God's Word. Very exciting. So. Uh, We always learn something new, I believe, from God's Word because it is so deep and rich and living and dynamic, His precious Word. So let's go ahead. I've come up with six principles here. This is not exhaustive, but it's just kind of the priorities um, of what a biblical church is to be with respect to its leadership. Some are more simple than others, and we'll just see how we can do in covering the material. But let's go ahead to point number one when it comes back to Church basics, elder shepherding. Point number one is each local church has two offices. Actually, I, put sh- I should have put in there, each local church, according to the Bible in the New Testament, should have two offices. Because the way I stated it, each local church has two offices. That's actually not true. Because you can go to many churches where they don't have two offices. Sometimes they'll have one office, or maybe they'll have three or more. But that's not the biblical model. The biblical model is clear. Every local church should have two offices, uh, elders and deacons. That's it. Elders and deacons. Philippians, let's just go to Philippians 1.1. 1, 1. There's a lot we could say about this, but this makes it just crystal clear. The Apostle Paul uh, writing to, now Paul wrote 13 letters, some to individual men who were like pastors Timothy and Titus. But then the rest were to local churches. And this one is to the church in Philippi that he planted this church. He pastored there. Went away and then he encouraged them and visited them a few times. Wrote this letter. And in verse 1 he says, Paul and Timothy. So Paul's the one writing it. His associate was Timothy. They knew Timothy. Bondservants of Christ Jesus or servants. Slaves really. Slaves of Jesus Christ as ministers of the gospel. To, and then uh, this is his introduction. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi. So he greets all the believers, including the overseers and deacons. So there it is. In this letter, Paul acknowledges the two official offices in the local church: overseer, deacon. Word says overseer there. Actually, it's, the, it's synonymous with elder, including the elders and the deacons, the overseers and the deacons, or another word could be including the bishops and deacons, or including the pastors and And deacons or including the shepherds and those are all synonymous interchangeable terms we're going to see that so uh, very clear every church should have two offices that are recognized elder and deacon The, the office of elder came first in the church and then later on out of practical necessity and also by God's divine wisdom and an appointment the institution and office of deacon was also added with qualifications a little later on after the church got going We're not going to talk about deacons today. We're just focusing in on elders and shepherds or pastors. But every church should. So that's where it starts. You're looking for a church. You're praying about a church. You're looking for a biblical church. First thing you should be thinking of is, okay, what does their leadership look like? What are their bylaws or their theology, philosophy of ministry? And do they believe that the church, the local church, should have two offices, elder and deacon? And do they have elders and deacons at this church? That's a good vetting place or a great place to start. Because many churches do not. I've, I've actually pastored at a couple of churches. I was a pastor on staff where they didn't have elders. That's pretty common and typical of some denominations here in America. It was actually two Baptist churches I was a part of, or maybe three, where they didn't have elders. They had a senior pastor that was a man, and then they had deacons, a plurality of deacons. And the deacons functioned as kind of the board, kind of like CEOs, and they had no elders. Then they might, under the senior pastor and the deacons, they had other staff guys, staff ladies, and maybe sometimes they would call them pastor, but they were not considered elders, and they weren't considered more uh, authoritative than the deacons or the senior pastor. So that was pretty common, still is. Um, And that's not fitting with a clear biblical model. Now, some will argue that uh, the structure and the leadership of a church is flexible, it's not dogmatic, as a matter of fact, it's not clear, and so there's room, wiggle room, to do it however you want to do it. You can either have elders, you don't need them, uh, you don't need deacons, so that's a common belief in terms of ecclesiology or leadership in the church. And I just say, no, it's clear. Paul made it clear, God made it clear, the apostles made it clear. There should be elders and deacons. That's point number one. Let's go on to point number two. Uh, and by the way, the word for elder, I mean overseer, um, we're going to get to that right now. The elder or presbyter is a pastor. So the elder in a church is also known as a pastor. Pastor is the same word for shepherd and overseer. So the elder is a pastor and an overseer. So I'm Pastor Cliff, some would call me, because by virtue of the fact that I am a pastor, I am also an elder, and I'm also an overseer. So those are the three terms we're going to look at that are interchangeable in the New Testament. So an elder is a pastor, is an overseer. An overseer is a pastor. So if you're a pastor, you're also an elder. Now there are some churches who have pastors, but they're not considered elders. Which to me it doesn't make any sense because it's clear in the Bible. If you are a pastor, you are an elder. And we're going to see that in two passages we're going to go to. So let's go to Acts chapter 20. We'll start there and then we'll close out with first Peter chapter 5. I just want to take these two passages where Uh, The Apostle Paul first, he uses the three terms, elder, pastor, overseer, in synonymous ways, or interchangeable. And Peter does the same thing in 1 Peter 5. So let's just look at Acts chapter 20. Uh, Acts chapter 20, we know that Paul went into the city of Ephesus, a very pagan secular city. He planted a church there, had success there, was there for almost three years as a pastor, planted the church, raised up leadership in the church, apparently trained some men to be elders, laid hands on them, designated them to serve the church in Ephesus. He visited the church of Ephesus a few times, wrote a letter, at least one, to encourage them. And at the end of his life, nearing the end of his ministry, and having spent some time in Ephesus and with the dear saints, he loved the saints in Ephesus, and he also was very close with the elders there that he had probably was the one who raised them up and trained them. And he knew that uh, time was at hand, and he, he knew that it was the end of his life. He ran the race. He finished the course. He fulfilled his ministry. And now he's going to say goodbye to these elders that he knew and that he loved. And that's Acts uh, chapter 20. So look at Acts chapter 20, verse 17. And so from the city of Miletus... He sent to Ephesus and he called him the elders of the church. So he sends a messenger. He's out of the city of Ephesus, he, probably because he, for his safety, he almost got killed a few times in Ephesus because of the hostility and persecution. So he's in Miletus and he sends a messenger to Ephesus and says, Hey, go get the elders of the church of Ephesus and bring them here because I want to meet with them. And so the elders uh, come. So that's important to keep in mind. Acts chapter 20, verse 17. The elders, notice uh, the word there, elders, the elders of the church, the rulers and leaders of the church, they're called elders. The Greek word is presbyteros, presbyteri, presbyterian, presbyterian, that's where the word comes from. A presbyterian is a denomination organization that leads with presbyteros or elders, they believe in elders, presbyterian, so are we, are we a presbyterian church? Yeah, on this issue we are, because we believe in elders. Uh, presbyterian so that is the word there Uh, notice it is plural so at this one church they had a plurality of elders that's going to be important by the way just about every single time elder is mentioned in the new testament it's always in the plural that is significant so paul calls the elders so these men who lead the church in ephesus are called elders so then they come They meet, and Paul begins to talk to them. And when they had come to Paul, he said to them, verse 18, You yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia, which is uh, where Ephesus was located, where he preached the gospel, founded the church, trained the men, spent time with them, pastored there for over three years. How I was with you the entire time, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials. He almost got killed several times in Ephesus, which came upon me through the plots of the Jews who did not believe, Yet nevertheless, verse 20, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly. And from house to house, he he poured his life into these elders to train them to take over the work when he leaves. Verse 21, solemnly testifying to both Jews and the Greeks of repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the simple gospel. Verse 22, and now behold, bound in spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. So Paul has an inclination that this could be the end of his life or he may never see these men again verse 23 except that the holy spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city saying that bonds and afflictions await me he knew that he would be facing persecution verse 24 but i do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself in order that i may finish my course so he's willing to die for jesus christ as an apostle and a pastor, and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. Paul was an elder, by the way. Paul was a pastor. Paul was an overseer in addition to being an apostle. He was the model elder overseer for these men. And now behold, verse 25, I know that all of you elders among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will see my face no more. This is it. Verse 26, therefore, I testify to you this day. So he's giving them an elder pastoral charge. I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the entire counsel of God. Paul was not a one-trick pony. He proclaimed the fullness of God's revelation. Now he gives them a couple of imperatives. Okay, you as elders, here's what you need to do. Verse 28, be on guard. That's what an elder does. Be on guard. That's what a pastor is supposed to do for his church. Be on guard. That means protect, keep safe, be discerning, watch out, be proactive, be deliberate, be protecting your sheep. From what? From evil. From evil. From the outside world and also on the inside. Be on guard for yourself so it starts with the elders. Uh, you need to walk in holiness. You need to guard sin in your own life. You need to guard sin and temptations from without that could undermine you and your ministry. Be to guard for yourself and also the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Okay, overseers, verse 28. So elders, verse 17, are also called overseers. Overseer is the word episkopos. So Presbyterians are also Episcopalian, that's where this word comes from. Are we Episcopalians then? Yeah, on this issue. So we're Presbyterians and Episcopalians. Episcopos is a cool word. It's a combination of two words. Epi, the preposition, means to kind of over, up, up in the air, kind of periscope. And then epi, up and over. And then episcopos, scopus, scope, to scope, to look, to see. So to look above, that's what it means, to be out looking above, like with binoculars, looking at the entire landscape, seeing the big picture. That's what overseers, that's what elders are supposed to do. We're down in the trenches with the sheep, toe to toe, but we're also up at 30,000 feet looking, scoping, watching the entire flock. Oh, we've got 100, and there goes, number, there goes one. One is leaving. He's climbing over the fence. He's... He's crawling under the fence. No, he just got taken by a wolf over, over the and through the fence. Overseers need to be overseeing and watching, and that's the word bishop is synonymous with the word overseer. They come from the same Greek word episkopos, epis, episcopal. Well, why bishop? Well, that's the German rendition. The Germans they messed it all up, but anyway, it means the same thing. So a bishop is the same word overseer comes from, which is episkopos, episkopos. To oversee. So an elder is to oversee. That's what he does. Elder speaks of his qualifications. And we'll talk about that in just a second. But I just want you to see verse 17 the elders are called overseers in verse 28. Be on guard for yourselves in the flock or the sheep or the church among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God. So there's the third word, shepherd. It's the verb form of. Poimas, or poema, which is the word for shepherd. Jesus was called the good shepherd. He called himself a shepherd. And then we have that great psalm, Psalm 23, where David prayed to the Lord and said, "My the Lord is my shepherd. So shepherd comes right out of the Old Testament. The first person to ever use that I could find in the Old Testament to use the word shepherd in a metaphorical way, applying it to God, was Jacob. Remember Jacob, the deceiver? who got saved at around age 40, and became Israel, the one who strives with God or the one who is on God's team. And he got saved. And at the end of his life, when he was about to die, almost 100 years later, he blessed Joseph and Joseph's two sons. And when he was blessing Joseph at the end of the book of Genesis, during his blessing and his prayer, he referred to God, or Yahweh, as his shepherd, who has been my shepherd all throughout my life. Just a beautiful expression. It's the first time. We see that metaphor applied to God as a, a shepherd. What does a shepherd do? He feeds and he leads. That's it. Everything that a pastor is supposed to do can be put under that rubric of a shepherd feeds and leads. And that's what God does for his people. And so this is the word here, shepherd. Now, it's in the Bible, the word shepherd metaphorically is used either as a noun or sometimes as a verb. Most of the time in the New Testament, the word shepherd is actually used in its verbal form, as an action. Shepherding is more of what you do than what you are. Really, that's the way it's used. So, like, right here in verse 28, the word shepherd is used as a verb. So, elders shepherd the sheep. Overseers shepherd the sheep. An overseer is like the office Shepherd is the function or the duty that we do. We shepherd. Elder is the qualification for it. So there's a beautiful three-way compliment there in those three terms. But in verse 17 and 28, it's clear that the three terms are interchangeable. They are synonymous virtually. But they have their own unique, beautiful nuance that they bring to that position. And so that's why I said in number two, the elder or presbyter is a pastor, shepherd and an overseer or bishop they all go together and complement one another Paul makes that clear the only time that the word shepherd is used as a noun and not as a verb is in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11 where speaking of the spiritual gifts that God has given to the church really the Lord Jesus has given to the church in Ephesians 4:11 and 12 he says God has given first the apostles and then the prophets and also evangelists and pastors and teachers pastor past there's a noun so paul makes it clear that pastor is a spiritual gift just like any other spiritual the gift of serving what's your spiritual gift the gift of teaching um, all those wonderful spiritual gifts that we just went through pastor is a spiritual gift it is given by god's holy spirit to specific people for a very specific function and there it is used as a noun never again in the new testament context is it used as a noun functionally is always used as a verb that's what they do they shepherd the sheep point is that they are interchangeable now look at first peter chapter five he does the same thing he takes all three terms pastor elder overseer and he uses them interchangeably and they complement one another beautifully so in first peter chapter five uh peter is writing a generic letter to christians in a certain area that he was familiar with and in 1 Peter chapter 5, he's now exhorting the elders, the leaders of the church, the pastors. So that's why he says in 1 Peter 5, verse 1, Therefore, I exhort the elders among you. Notice again, elders is plural. The plurality of elders, always. That's why Jesus had a plurality of apostles for a reason. Because they would become the leadership of the first church. The one church of Jerusalem had a plurality of leaders. And so... Peter says, I exhort the elders, the plurality of leaders among you in your midst, in your local church, as your fellow elder." So Peter acknowledged that he also was an elder. He was a leader in a church. He was a pastor. He was a shepherd. He was an overseer. He was also an apostle. He was also a prophet, but he is an elder. I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ. And as a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. So he's talking to elders in the local church. Verse 2, elders, you, here's what you need to do. You need to shepherd. That is a verb. So what do elders do? They shepherd. They are not CEOs on a board who simply watch from a distance. Shepherding, you've got to get down in the trenches with the sheep to lead them, to feed them, to protect them, to guide them, to help them, to nurture them. That's what you need to do. You need to be a shepherd. Shepherd the flock of God. So elders, shepherd, there's the verb form. Shepherd the flock of God among you. Here it is, exercising oversight. Okay, now he uses the word overseer again. So he uses the word elder in verse 1, presbyter. He uses the word shepherd, poema. And then he uses the word episkopos as well. All three terms, just like Paul did, they're complementary. So it is crystal clear. They are synonymous. They're not to be broken up. But they are broken up today, and they've been broken up throughout church history. So that today it is not uncommon in certain denominations, the Catholic church and other organizations, even evangelical or Protestant denominations, break those three terms up, and they say they're not three synonymous terms. They're not complementary. Um, They're to be separated. And so you've got a pastor at a local church, but you've got a bishop, and he's one guy, and he oversees 15 churches in a region. That's pretty typical today. That is not in the Bible. Because you don't ever have the word bishop by itself in the singular. It's always plural. And it's always in the context of a local church. And it is synonymous with an elder and a shepherd. So that's pretty clear. So thanks to Peter and Paul and the Holy Spirit of God making it clear that those three terms are interchangeable. And they speak of the duties and the qualifications of each. So let's go on to number three. Um, each church needs a plurality of elders. I already mentioned this. It needs a plurality of elders. Emphasizing the word needs. It's not an option. It is a command. It's an imperative from God. Jesus modeled it. He trained the first pastors and elders of the first church in Jerusalem. There were twelve of them. And they became the leaders of the elders of the pastors of that first church in Jerusalem. That became the model, and Paul replicated that, as did Peter, wherever they planted a church, they always planted a plurality of elders in every local church. We'll see that. A plurality. Every church needs a plurality of elders. That's not typical, necessarily, of evangelical churches today, at least in some denominations, where you can go to the website, or just, you're familiar with churches, where you got one guy, he's the senior pastor. You can go on a lot of websites of, certain churches even big churches well-known churches look for the leadership and all you do is just see the senior pastor that's it you think wow just one guy leads this church of hundreds and thousands of people yikes or maybe they do have elders and you don't know about it but you got the senior pastor and then sometimes you have deacons or the senior pastor and sometimes elders or no elders at all Uh, that would be typical but the biblical model is clear a plurality of elders Uh, Look at, we're going to go to Acts chapter 14 again, going back to the book of Acts. The book of Acts is good, true, inspired history. And there we have Peter and the apostles modeling what church life should be like, as well as the apostle Paul modeling with what church life should be like. The apostle Paul models how a church should be planted and started and raised up and run. And that's what we have in Acts chapter 14. The apostle Paul with Barnabas and also Silas timothy and his other partners they would plant churches they would train the saints they would raise up leadership and they'd give them doctrine of how they are to lead and in acts 14 23 one of paul's missionary journeys he's going to make in the rounds visiting all these churches that he started helping them grow protecting them giving them further uh insight verse 23 says and when they had appointed elders for them in every church see, it was deliberate they appointed elders, not in all the churches, but in every church. They appointed appointed a plurality of elders in every single church. That's clear. Acts 14, 23. That was Paul's pattern. That was God's mandate. And that's what needs to be done. So when you're looking and trying to find a biblical church, it starts with the leadership, Do they have a plurality of biblical elders. It's got to start there. That is God's ideal. This is reiterated in Titus, go there to Titus chapter 1. We preach through Titus, so I'll just mention this in passing by way of reminder. Titus chapter 1 gives the qualifications of elders, pastors, overseers, bishops, shepherds. And at verse 5, Titus chapter 1, verse 5, Paul reminds Titus, who was a spiritual leader and probably an elder himself, pastor, shepherd, to Titus, my true child, go, you need to help, you need to shepherd this church. They need help in Ephesus, and for this reason I left you in Crete, or in Crete, Uh, in order that you might set in order what remains. So they planted a church in Crete, and it needed some organization. It needed leadership is what it mainly needed. And so Titus was going to do that, and he was also going to raise up leadership in the church of Crete. For this reason I left you in Crete, Titus, in order that you might set in order what remains, and appoint elders in every city. This is a mandate. This is a command. This needs to be done. It can't be neglected. It brings order to God's church. That is his design. And that's why I left you there. You need to be obedient. You need to appoint elders, a plurality of elders, in every city. We saw in Acts 14, it was elders in every church. So we need elders in every church, in every city, without exception. That is the apostolic requirement, which came from God himself, that you might appoint elders in every city as I directed you as an apostle. This is not an option. Namely, verse 6, If any man is above reproach. And then he goes on to give the qualifications. As I directed you, as I commanded you, as you are obligated to do. So we started a church about 10 years ago. Uh, A church in West Hills helped give us direction. And Pastor Mike there, Birchfield, he's still there in West Hills. And I remember when we were thinking about starting the church. And he would planted a church before, or a couple. And I just said, what's your short list, Mike, of a healthy church planting? A plurality of godly men to lead that church absolutely essential. A plurality of qualified elders. You can't do it without it. Is what he told me. And there was a lot of wisdom in that. It came right out of the Bible. And I. Would, and since then, as we've planted our church, I've had many inquiries over the last almost 10 years of people asking me, uh, "What do you think about church planning? How do you do a church plant? How did you guys do it?" I. I always say, "It's got to start with the leadership, and it's got to start with a plurality of godly called." Men of God who will become your elders. You can't do it apart from that. You can't do it any other way. You can't change what God has mandated. It's got to start there. If you want God to honor it and bless it. To be obedient. To be a healthy church. It's clear. Plurality of elders. In every church. In every city. Just the benefits of a plurality. This is in God's wisdom. The benefits of plurality is the availability. If you have just one guy. One guy. Pastoring a church of 200 or 2,000, not going to be available. The shepherd needs to be available to the sheep. When you have a plurality of shepherds, they can be more accessible and available to the sheep. They need to be. So that's just God's beautiful wisdom, divine wisdom. It also provides a diversity because you need a diversity among the leaders of the church because there are so many different needs in the church. There are different personalities. There are different struggles. Uh, certain elders can identify with certain Struggles that the sheep might have. So there's a blessed diversity in God's wisdom in having a plurality of elders. We are not all the same. We have five elders here at GBF and none of us are the same. Yippee! It's actually a blessed diversity. And that is by God's design. So you got availability, diversity, accountability. Boy, being a one-man show, that is dangerous. seen it time and time again. When one guy rises to the top and he's the man, uh, he's in charge. He has soul authority. Everybody else is under him. That's just set up for danger, failure. No man save the Lord Jesus Christ can be in that position. Accountability. We all have weak spots. We all have blind spots. And so we got to keep each other in check. So we got five elders here and four of my elders. They keep me in check and give me accountability. They know what my weaknesses are. They know what my strengths are. And so God, by design, we believe. Put them in our church to complement what my weaknesses are and to enhance what my strengths are, and it makes for a beautiful team effort. That is God's wisdom, accountability. And also just provides that beautiful stability as well. Uh, We've got depth, we've got breadth, or any church that has a plurality of qualified elders can add to their depth and their breadth the stability that you provide in the church. You can't lean on just one man or one woman's ability or skill regardless of how blessed they are naturally, it's not going to happen. So those are just some of the practical blessings of having a plurality of elders. But more importantly, God said it needs to be that way. There needs to be a plurality in every local church of elders, and there needs to be elders. Well, where did those three, all those terms, uh, pastor, elder, overseer, episcopos, overseer, um, is the least frequent term used for this position in the New Testament. It came from the Greek culture, the secular culture. And then God turned it into a sacred office, overseer. And as Paul went into all these Gentile, Greek, pagan cultures, they knew what an overseer was. Oh, that's a respected man and leader in the community. And so God incorporated that idea into the church and made it synonymous with those two other terms, shepherd and shepherd. Uh, presbyter or elder now shepherd and elder come out of the old testament those are rooted in the old testament and so with respect to the term for elder because there needs to be elders in every church the first time that we see the word elder used in the bible really in god's people is in the book of exodus and so you got moses who's trying to lead up to almost two million people taking them through the the wilderness for 40 years one guy let me say that again one guy moses trying to lead almost maybe 1.5 million, up to 2 million people through the wilderness by himself with his brother Aaron. And, well, yeah, he had God, that's true. Uh, But still, practically, I mean, can you imagine? And so it doesn't take long where Moses, man, he was incredible. He was an amazing leader, amazing servant, incredibly humble, incredibly gifted, incredibly blessed by God. But he was a sinner saved by grace. And he's getting resistance and challenge from the get-go from his own people, his own spiritual family, immediately begin to resist him, question him, complain against uh, him, backstab him, undermine him. Uh, Well, Moses, he was a sensitive man. He was an emotional man. And so he would often go to God. Moses was a man of prayer. He's a beautiful model of prayer. You watch, Just study the life of Moses' prayer life in the Pentateuch. It is awesome. How he would go to God in prayer. He would go in humility. He would go in tears. He would go with boldness. The requests that he would make, amazing. The request that he, question, why do we have elders today in the church? There's a good question for you. I'd like to hear your answer. Why do we have elders today? Here's one of the main answers. Because Moses prayed for elders. Let's go to Numbers chapter 11. So in Exodus, that term elders is introduced. Because God knows, you know, Moses, you can't do this all yourself. You need help. And Moses' father-in-law, wise counselor, said, Moses, you need help. You can't do it all by yourself. Can't be a micromanager. Impossible. So look at Numbers chapter 11. They're in the wilderness. Not long after seeing this amazing miracle of the parting of the Red Sea, the ten incredible g- miracles that happened in Egypt, like had never been done in the history of the world, nevertheless, among the Jews who are following Moses, the Israelites, it says in verse 1 of Numbers chapter 11, now the people, the Israelites who were with Moses, following Moses, the people who had just seen these amazing miracles of Almighty God, who saved them from slavery, that, those people, became like those who complain. The whiners, they became, some of them became whiners. They are complaining. What do they complain about? Their adversary. Their adversary. I hate it out here in the wilderness. How long do we got to be? Are we there yet? What kind of food is this? And on and on It goes. So they are complaining of their adversity. This is scary. In the hearing of Yahweh, God hears their whining. God doesn't like whining or complaining. How do I know? Well, verse 1 goes on. And when Yahweh heard their complaining, his anger was kindled. This is righteous indignation. God became furious with his people. Why? Because they were whining and complaining after they had just seen these unbelievable miracles that he put on to preserve them. And the fire of Yahweh burned among them and consumed some on the outskirts of the camp. God consumed some of these whiners and complainers for all to see. That, That would make me nervous and scared. Whoa, God is serious. Man, I ain't complaining no more for the next 39 years. That's what I would have thought. Well, maybe not. Verse 2, the people therefore cried out to Moses, and Moses prayed to the Lord, and the fire died out. So Moses intercedes for the people. Lord, uh, please show mercy. Do not wipe all of them out. He does this many times, by the way. And God answers his prayer. Moses was a man of prayer, courageous prayer, bold prayer. And God, time and time again, answers Moses' prayer very specifically. He does here. So the name of that place was Taberah. Verse 4. And the rabble, so there was some remaining whiners, complainers, and rabble, rabble rousers. And the rabble who were among them had greedy desires. So not all of them were consumed. And they become bad leaven. And they infect others rather quickly. And also the sons of Israel wept again. And this time they're whining about their food. Who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish we had. And that we used to eat in Egypt the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic. But now our appetite is gone. All we have is this manna. So whining, whining, whining. We don't want this supernatural amazing provision from God that's low in calories and high in protein anymore. And so the people would go about, they'd gather it, and then it talks about the manna in verse 10. So Moses is hearing this whining and it says, Moses heard the people weeping throughout their families, each man at the doorway of his tent. Uh, it was a cacophony of dissonance and trouble in his ears. He was overwhelmed. He was responsible for all these people. So the people are weeping. They are discontent, middle of verse 10. And the anger of the Lord was kindled greatly. So the people are discontent. God is angry again in the end of verse 10 says, and Moses was displeased. Now nobody's happy. The people, Moses and God, nobody is happy. So Moses, what does he do? He prays to the Lord, Yahweh, and he prays to God. God, why hast thou been so hard on thy servant? God, why are you so hard on me? Expecting me to, 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 to lead these 1.5 million people, these whiners. And why have I not found favor in your sight? That you have laid the burden of all these people on me. Why is it? Or was it I who conceived all these? I didn't give birth to all of these people. I'm not their mommy. That's what he's saying. Was it I who brought them forth? That you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a nurse, carries a nursing infant to the land which thou hast sworn to their fathers. Verse 13, where am I to get meat to give to all these people? For they weep before me saying, give us meat in order that we may eat. Verse 14. Here's an amazing verse. And if you are a pastor or an elder or a leader in a church, of god's people this could be your theme verse i alone am not able to carry all this people because it is too burdensome for me That that is amazing it's too burdensome that'd be true of a pastor you can't carry all the burden of all the people by yourself there's no way i couldn't do that i couldn't shoulder all the problems And the concerns and the needs and the worries and the griefs and the trials and the suffering of all the people in the church on my own shoulders, all by myself, can't do it. It is too burdensome. So he's pleading with God. Verse 15. So if you are going to deal like this with me, please kill me at once. And I would say that more than one pastor over the church history has said that themselves. Please kill me at once if I have found favor in your sight, and do not let me see my wretchedness. He felt totally inadequate, and he was, by the way, as is any man who tries to lead a church and God's people. But God answered his prayer. He was compassionate towards Moses. Verse 16, Yahweh therefore said to Moses, gather for me 70 men from the elders of Israel. There it is, direct answer to prayer. You know what, Moses? You are right. I'm going to appoint elders among God's people, to help you lead these people. Why do we have elders in the church today? Thank God that Moses was a man of prayer and God answered his prayer. That's where elders came from, right here. And from this point on, all throughout the entire Old Testament, among God's people in Israel, you always see a plurality of elders functioning in the community of God. Leading the people, shepherding the people, protecting the people, teaching the people, giving wisdom to the people, In the book of Deuteronomy, they are judging on behalf of the people, judging, mediating cases of division, rendering verdicts, listening to the evidence, being arbiters of the people. This all carries over into the New Testament of what an elder and a pastor and an overseer are to do in the church of God. All of those things. In conjunction with a a corporation or a group of men who are like-minded and also called and qualified to do this together. Shouldering the burden of of the ministry that's why we have elders today because moses was a man of prayer and god answered his prayer why do we have pastors today same answer let's go to numbers chapter 27 so god blesses moses with elders a plurality of i love the term elder by the way um in the hebrew there when it's used in numbers uh, 27 we're going to see numbers chapter one we just saw Eleven times uh, the word elder is used in the book of Exodus where informally God was allowing Moses to have a plurality of men help him lead the people through the wilderness. And eleven and nine times in the book of Exodus, it refers to the elders of Israel, the elders of Israel, the elders of Israel. It's a beautiful expression, first of all, because it's a plural, a plurality of together also the elders of israel one phrase says the elders of the people that is beautiful that speaks of what an elder is to be he's not distant from the people he is one of the people he's from and among the people he's with the people elders of israel he represents the people another thing i love about the term elder is it was first originally it came out of a family context the elder was the head of the family And that's the way it needs to be in the New Testament. The pastor, the shepherd, the overseer, the elder, that's a family connotation. He needs to be a family man, his own immediate family, but also in the family of God. There needs to be a familial relationship from the elder, an affectionate relationship, an intimate one, a personal one, a familiar one. It's a beautiful picture. This is the family of God, not just an organization or a business where you have this cold, political, set-apart relationship way up here as you oversee and look down on the people. That is not an elder. So that's what the term meant as God took it out of its Old Testament context and then transferred it beautifully into the New Testament church. Elder. By the way, the word elder, the Hebrew word, I already gave you presbuteros, the Greek word in the New Testament. The, the Old Testament word is zakain, zakain means the bearded one, the bearded one. Pastor Cliff, is it true that you don't believe women should be elders? Yes. Well, why is that? Because elder means the bearded one. Really, the bearded one. All the elders in the Old Testament from the time of Moses, 1400 B.C. till the New Testament. So for 1,400 years or 1,000 years from Moses to Malachi, the plurality of elders were always men, always male, the bearded ones. The bearded one speaks of two things. Male, like as an XY chromosome, that's something you can't change through surgery. That is in the DNA from God himself. The bearded one refers to male leadership. That's by God's design. That's why all the apostles were male. And it also speaks, elder speaks of older. The bearded one speaks of someone who's older. He is of age to grow a beard. He's older, he's mature, he's seasoned, he ex- he's experienced. That is by God's design. In other words, he can provide wisdom that young, younger folks typically can't. So an elder needs to be seasoned. He needs to be male. He needs to be called, gifted, and qualified. And God hasn't changed that either. And we don't need to be apologizing for that. We don't need to be embarrassed by that. That is a beautiful thing. God knows what he's doing. It's his church. It's by design. Why do we have pastors today? Because Moses prayed and God answered that prayer and gave him a pastor. So look at Numbers chapter 27. Uh, Numbers 27, it's time for Moses to die. Verse 12, the Lord Yahweh said to Moses, go up to that mountain, to the land that I've given to the sons of Israel. When you have seen the land, you too shall be gathered to your people. You're going to die, Moses. 120 years is what I've allotted for you for life on this earth. You're going to die in the wilderness. Well, Moses was probably, uh, who knows what his emotional reaction was or he was feeling, but he, it sunk and he knew, wow, God's telling me I'm going to die. Okay, my time is at hand. So as a faithful man of God, an elder, no doubt his heart was with the people and he's concerned about them. That's priority number one. Who in the world, I've led these people for 40 years. I've watched over them. I've been used by you. God, how are you going to take care of them if I'm gone? That's a fair question. Uh, verse 15, Moses spoke to Yahweh and said, And he goes to prayer. May Yahweh, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation who will go out and come in before them. Notice he's with the people, shoulder to shoulder, doing his duty, leading them, protecting them, watching out on their behalf, who will go out and come in before them and who will lead them out and bring them in, in order that the congregation of Yahweh, these 1,000 or 1 million people plus, in order that the congregation of Yahweh may not be like, here it is, sheep without a shepherd. So what was Moses doing? He was praying for a shepherd for the people of God, a pastor. He already prayed for elders. God gave him that. And now he's praying for a shepherd. to take it. That's a more intimate term. God answers that prayer, verse 18. So Yahweh said to Moses, you know what? Take Joshua, the son of Nun. Boom, there's your first pastor. Who's the first pastor in the history of God's people? It was Joshua, the son of Nun in terms of the formal designation as a shepherd. And ever since then, shepherd is seen throughout the Old Testament. God is the ultimate shepherd, the perfect shepherd, the gracious shepherd, the protector and the provider of his people, fulfilled in the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ, who was the good shepherd as the God-man, the perfect shepherd, the perfect pastor. And that term is carried over into the New Testament church, where the men of God who lead the church are called shepherds, pastors. They are to feed and lead and be among the people. And care for them and be willing to give their life for the people. A shepherd was willing, a good shepherd was willing to give his life for the sheep. That's why Jesus was the perfect shepherd. So go back uh, to the book of Acts. So number one, each local church has two offices, elder and deacon. Number two, the elder is a pastor and overseer. Number three, each church needs, must have a plurality of elders because God said so and because of the blessed wisdom that comes with it. Number four, elders have fixed and specific qualifications. 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, you could even throw in 1 Peter 5 there, but uh, they're specifically delineated in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. We went over those exhaustively in the book of Titus and at other times, so we won't hear now, but just we can be reminded of 1 Timothy 3 uh verse one it says it is a trustworthy statement if any man man not a woman a man uh, god is not biased or prejudiced towards women god loves women just as much as much as he loves men god loves females just as much he loves males who designed humanity god did he created them god created males he created females god created males and females in his image women bear the image of god just as much as men do as a matter of fact a man by himself is incomplete, a woman by herself is incomplete. That's what God said in Genesis 1 before the entrance of Satan and sin in the world. God's perfect design to reflect his image and the fullness of his image and all of his attributes is a man and woman together in marriage. That is his ideal for humanity. That's clear in Genesis chapter 1 through 3. So we can't get hung up on the false arguments where people accuse us when we make a distinction between the genders, their roles, and their functions saying that Uh, We don't believe in gender equality. By the way, if someone were to ask me, so Pastor Cliff, do you believe in gender equality? No, not really. Uh, Not if you mean uh, in specific roles. In other words, that men and women are exactly the same in everything. No. Do I believe in gender equality in certain areas? Yes. That every human being, male or female, is made equally in the image of God. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But men and women are not the same. They are not equal. They have different functions. I know I'm old school in this, but I believe females make better mommies than guys do. And by God's design, males make better daddies than women do. And they need to be together and complement each other. That's by God's ideal design. And that hasn't changed. God instituted that before he created Israel. God instituted that before he created the church. And it's still intact today. And it is under assault and has been under assault since the very beginning by Satan himself, and he's making an incredible headway here in our country as we had marriage redefined, unthinkable 30 years ago, that marriage would be redefined in our country and encoded in law, that marriage is not between a man and one man and one woman. Unthinkable. And it's just worse going downhill. If You've been paying attention. The gender is the way God has designed them, that beautiful complement, and Satan is on the warpath, and he is trying to undermine it, distort it, and attack it. Because that's at the very heart of the image of God. Man and woman together fully reflect the beautiful array of all the attributes of God in harmony. You attack gender. You attack the very nature of God. That's why it's so important. Foundational. Uh, this week, I don't know if you heard the news clip. Uh, four junior hires, girls from Texas, ages 10 to 13, are going to court or going to go Take the Boy Scouts to court because these four girls, they want to join the Boy Scouts. And so this is a major news headline. It's going to court. It's going to become showcased here in America. we got high profile, very wealthy, influential lawyers getting behind these four little girls. These four girls, ages 10 through 13, are going to. No, they're not. It's their parents who are using these children to accomplish some dastardly political evil end and you know what i mean i wouldn't be surprised if it just succeeds and now girls are allowed to become boys i thought they had girl scouts i I don't know i i thought they did or the 4-h club can't boys and girls do that one um the other one was two weeks ago when a guy in high school a guy a boy an xy person Decided that, uh, I feel like a girl. I want to use the girl's locker room. I want to use the girl's locker room. I feel like a, a girl. Now, that sounds totally like a junior hire, doesn't it? I want to go into the girl's locker room as a guy. Wow. And they're honoring his request, and this is going to go to court, And they're gonna hear judges and they're gonna make a judgment and rule on it. And already this is already being allowed and tolerated. And student bodies are joining on the bandwagon and walking out of class. High schoolers, probably all the high school boys. Really, it's going on. This is attack on gender. And they're defining they're redefining gender. And they're saying it's not what sex are, not what biological sex, not what is your DNA. Are you XY or XX? It is now. Gender is defined by what is your what gender do you identify with? Really, that is the official phraseology that is becoming legal. Now, going back to qualifications, First Timothy three. As you read the qualifications here in uh, Titus one and First Timothy three, the qualifications of a pastor include that he must be a man. Not just any man, but a qualified man, a godly man, a recognized qualified man not every man is qualified to be a pastor not every man wants to be a pastor many pastors resign for many different reasons but one of the things that jumps out in these qualifications in our day and in our culture and where we live here in northern california is god has made it clear that a qualification of an elder one of them is he needs to be a man he needs to be male Leadership is male. That's been true from Genesis to Revelation. It's in the Bible. We can't budge on it. We can't compromise on it. We will be mocked for this, persecuted for this, falsely accused for this. It's all right. We got to stand up for God's truth. This is basic. This is foundational. So I just highlighted some of the qualifications. There are close to twenty. Specific, very specific. He needs to be above, above reproach. That's repeated three times. Above reproach. He can't be accused uh, of illegal activity. He has a good reputation. He is consistent. He's a man of integrity. Uh, One of the qualifications is that he is seasoned. He is not green. He's not a a new believer. Hence the word elder. What age do you need to be to be an elder? In the New Testament answer, I have no idea. So it's seasoned more in your spiritual walk with God than your age. You can be a very immature 62-year-old Christian man, really. Age doesn't guarantee maturity, but uh, maturity is not without age. You can be a very mature. I served on a a church leadership one time, and one of the elders was probably 30, 31. And the entire time I worked with him, he was a very sober-minded, down-to-earth, godly, wise respectable man of integrity and he was younger than everybody else and many times more mature in his thinking from a biblical point of view so there is no age the the people have to assess the current elders have to assess you lay it before god there were age requirements for elders and priests and leadership in the old testament age 25 age 30 etc etc that doesn't exist in the new testament first thing you look for is probably whiskers on his face Elder means bearded one. Age. Maturity. Uh, so those are just some of the main highlights I wanted to highlight there. Oh, by the way, speaking of the pastor, elder, as a, a man, First Timothy 6.11 is, uses that phrase, man of God. Man of God, not woman of God. There is a woman of God, but not in terms of leadership of the church. And by the way, the most important people in the church, the most important people in the church are not the elders of the church. From God's point of view, who's the most important people in the church? Every single saint. Every single believer. That was the message of 1 Corinthians 12-14. through They are all equally valuable before Almighty God, and whether your duty is behind the scenes in some obscure corner at a wee hour that nobody knows about or sees, God sees, if you do it faithfully, He is pleased It contributes to the growth of the body of the church. Whether you're male or female. And there are just as significant ministries that women perform in a local church that men do. So it has to be a beautiful compliment. It's kind of like, who is the most important uh, player on the offense on a football team? And when I ask people this, 99% of the people fail the quiz. On a football team, on offense, on the field, who is the most important player of the 11 players? And 99% of the time, people say, well, the quarterback. No, he's not. He's not. If you don't have a good center, the quarterback will never get the ball you guys don't have good tackles and guards they ain't going to block for that quarterback they don't like and he's not going to be successful if you don't have receivers that can catch the ball quarterback is a zero if you don't have a running back who can't run or if you can't hold on the ball quarterback nothing who's the most important player of the 11 men every single one of them is equal, equally valuable in the position and the function they serve it is true also in the church it's not a matter of. Who does God like more or who's more important or valuable? It's distinctions and roles that God has given to his people so that they can function at their highest capacity for the glory of God, men and women. Elders have fixed and specific qualifications. Let's go on to number five. Elders have fixed and specific duties. And I'll just summarize these because I wrote them down for you. You could say that the elder or pastor is called to feed and lead, and put everything they do under those two categories. They they would fit actually, and that's what Jesus did as a shepherd. He would feed and lead his people. But I did break it up a little more specifically. Elders have fixed and specific duties. There's several passages there. Primarily, it means spiritual service. That's what we as elders do. We're we're not we can't fix every problem we have in life, and I can't come over and. Fix a, a leak in your sink. I mean, I could try. Just get, get a plumber. Um, it's the, the priority is spiritual service, spiritual duty, spiritual oversight, spiritual shepherding in the context of the local church. We also have a limited jurisdiction by God's design. We need a lot of good churches, many, many. We need thousands and thousands of good churches and faithful pastors. We don't need a bunch of mega churches and that'll solve the world's problems. It won't. Spiritual service, that's what we're involved in. Uh, We lead, we're supposed to, that's what Jesus did. Leading means being an example. We lead by serving, that's what Jesus did, washing their feet. We lead by judging, being arbitrators, being mediators, handling problems, dealing with problems, spearheading church discipline, handling money. This is all leadership. It's all modeled in the book of Acts. So we lead. We teach. We teach and preach. That's what Jesus did. That's primarily what Jesus and the apostles did terms of their duty Uh, preaching and teaching which would include equipping the saints for service evangelizing and teaching others how to evangelize uh, to speak from the scriptures the word of god reprove rebuke and exhort calling god's people to obedience being a spiritual coach that's what we're supposed to be doing so lead teach pray clear in james 5 let the elders pray that's what it says let the elders pray for the people Uh, acts chapter 6 uh, that the apostles who were elders were getting busy with the fellowship meal. Well, where's the pork and beans, Peter? Well, uh, Thomas left them in the refrigerator at his cousin's Anyway, it was a nightmare. And so the elders, the apostles, were being distracted from what they were supposed to be doing, which was teaching the word of God and praying. That's what it says in Acts 6. And that's what pastors need to do. All these other things are very important, but the other saints need to serve and complement. Deacons and others who are gifted in that area as well. So we pray, and also we protect. We saw that in Acts 28, 28. Be on guard. Be vigilant. Protect. There are vicious wolves out there. There are vicious wolves even among yourselves, said Paul. So elders have very specific duties. They are limited. They are specific. We can't be distracted by other things. People are tugging and pulling at the pastor all the time to do other things outside of what God would have him do as a priority. You need to do this, you need to do this, you need to spearhead a soup kitchen, you need to do this, and these social things over here, and that over there, and organize uh, the church hoedown, and this and that. No. That's not the priority for the man of God. And then finally, number six, there is only one senior pastor. Guess what the the answer is? You said, Jesus! Good answer, good answer. I heard it up here in the front row. 1 Peter 5, let's close with this. How appropriate. I remember when I read this as a, a Christian, the first year I read the Bible, when I was around in college around 19, this, just, this verse just jumped off the page, uh, and I'll never forget it. Verse 1, I exhort the elders among you. We already talked about that. Okay, elders here, you need to shepherd the flock of God, verse 2. By the way, you need to sh- shepherd the sheep in your congregation, not everybody else's congregation, the ones among you in your midst, the ones allotted to your care, A finite number of people. You need to exercise oversight. Here are the qualifications Uh, be a servant. Don't abuse your authority and power. Be an example. Verse 4. There's great accountability. And when the chief shepherd, there it is. That's actually one word in the Greek. New American Standard says chief shepherd. One word in the Greek. Arche, arche, poemos. Poemos, pastor. Arche, Chief, senior, leader, big cheese. Who's the big cheese at your church? Oh, the senior pastor. Who's the big cheese at your church? People have asked me that. Who's the big cheese at your church? Oh, I am. I'm the big cheese. No, I don't want to be the big cheese. I'm not the senior pastor. I'm not the big cheese. Actually, if you get to know me, you'll find out I am Swiss cheese. I have holes all over. You will be highly disappointed. Chief shepherd, literally senior pastor, singular. The rest of us are under shepherds, slaves. There's no vacancy in the position. There is no competition of the God man, of the good shepherd, of the eternal savior, Jesus Christ, the only senior pastor in our literature GBF. There's nothing listed there, hopefully, that says who the senior pastor is because I'm not him. That scares me to death to think I'm going to r- substitute for Jesus? The only senior pastor? The only chief? Now, we use it colloquially, so you, that's fine. I mean, churches do that all the time. Who's the senior? We know what we mean. They mean the lead pa- Some churches have appropriately starting to change that to lead pastor. That's better among the leaders. Who's the guy? Somebody's got to be in charge, but not senior pastor. I was thinking about that. This is so clear. Peter said, "Who the see, Jesus is the only senior pastor. And I'm just wondering, who was the first guy in church history who decided, you know what, I'm going to be the church pastor now. Forget Jesus. Because it stuck. And that did a disservice to the church and God's people. So he is the only senior pastor. He is the good shepherd. He is the ultimate overseer. He is our example, our model, our example. And the Apostle Paul tried to... Mimic what Jesus did, and that's why he told the people, be like me as I also am of Christ. And so in light of all these things that I've just laid before you, here's just some three practical takeaways in light of elder shepherding shepherding from a a biblical point of view. Uh, Number one, pray for your elders. If you're a member of this church or another church, pray for your elders. Hopefully you have elders at your church. Pray for them regularly, routinely. We need your prayers. Thank you for those of you who continually do that. So faithfully, it it makes a difference. I believe it's the answers to those prayers of why we still have five elders here at GBF. Four of which have been here from the beginning after almost 10 years, almost unheard of. That's God's grace. Uh, Pray for your elders. Number two, honor your elders. Talked a little bit about that last week. Hebrews 13, 17 is clear. It says, get this, obey and submit to your elders. It's what it says. If you don't do that, you will give them heartache. You also receive accountability from Almighty God himself. And it's submit and obey them in the proper sphere of spirituality as dictated by Scripture. You'll be blessed if you do. And then finally, um, number three, warn people about the importance of elders as given in Scripture. So if you know other believers and maybe they're seeking advice or counsel, they're asking you for input. What church do you think I should go to? Or I just started going to this church. What do you think? And then you can be discerning and take them to the word and, and lay out for them. Here is the biblical, the clear biblical model of godly leadership in the local church, and it is to the good, it is to the blessing, it is to the health of those people, and most of all, it is to the honor and the glory of Almighty God, His blessed church. With that, let's go ahead and pray, and then as we're singing our last song, we'll go ahead and have the benevolence uh, offering going around. That we will we use that benevolence offering to meet the practical needs of our saints here in our church. And again, just thank you for your generosity. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you for this day, the Lord's Day. Uh, Thank you for the clarity of your word. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for being our teacher and how you um, enlighten our understanding when we read the Bible. You give us illumination so that we can see more clearly your truth. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for being the chief shepherd, the good shepherd leading us for feeding us thank you for designing your church just the way you wanted it thank you for preserving your church thank you for growing your church and thank you that we can be a part of it by virtue of your sacrificial death and your supernatural and amazing resurrection and ascension on high we give you the glory we pray in your name amen thank you for listening Dr. McManus is an author, seminary professor, and pastor-teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship. For more information about Grace Bible Fellowship, please visit our website at gbfsv.org or call us at 650-630-0009.